This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing this weekend? I'm well, Chad. How are you? Doing pretty good. Getting ready to have a pretty short work week. Tomorrow is our fair day. Then I have three days of work, and then Friday I head out of town for a wedding on Saturday. So, short week ahead for me. Fair day, that's right. And it's uh, isn't it in the Dallas area? So you might actually get to go. Yeah, I might. I don't know if I will or not, just because I always have lived within like 20 minutes of the fair pretty much all my life. So it's not that big a deal to me. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I might end up going at some point. I never actually went until... Uh... After college, I think uh, last year, or the year before was my first year going and I've lived in Texas my whole life until I moved here. So that was exciting. Yeah, it, it's a it's a something that you should experience as a Texan at some point in your life. But uh, it's sort of like living next to Disney World, I imagine, or uh, some <laughs> other theme park where it's just sort of the local theme park instead of a big deal like everybody else makes it out to be. Right. <laughs> but anyways. I'm glad things are going well, and we have a couple of things to discuss before we get into our episode. Yes, we do have a new review, or rather, not a new review, but it just showed up for us anyway. Uh, apologies and a big thank you to Chicklet MM Podcast for their nice review and uh, and five star rating. We really appreciate it, and we're sorry we didn't mean to uh, disclude you in the past. It just showed up, but thank you very very much. And also, we'd like to extend a thank you to Leslie Martin, who has been emailing us about our episodes. They just recently started at the beginning of the show, and they're slowly working their way through and replying to just about every single one of our shows. So thank you, Leslie, for joining in the discussion. And just wanted to remind everybody out there that we do have an email address, workplacepod at gmail.com. And if you want to add to the discussion or ask us questions or anything like that, that is a resource available to you in addition to our social media. I think that wraps up the housekeeping. Let's dive into our discussion for today. So we're starting with episode 19 of season two, Michael's Birthday. This episode aired on March 30th of 2006, was directed by Ken Whittingham, and was written by Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stipnitsky. So it's Michael Scott's birthday, and he wants everybody in the office and the world to know. He spends his day telling people about his birthday, eating the donuts and the sandwiches that he brought for himself making himself birthday posters, and singing happy birthday to himself. Meanwhile, the office is more interested in Kevin's news. He's waiting on the results of a biopsy to determine if he has skin cancer. Michael, in support of Kevin, takes the office to a skating rink to lighten the mood. Except the rink was really for Michael's birthday, given the huge happy birthday Michael sign hanging. So we're dealing with some split interest in the office today, and Michael's uh, priority is pretty well known here, so... We've seen Michael celebrate holidays in the past. He was really into Christmas, the act of giving, mostly because it was a chance for him to show off his bonus and give something to Ryan and all that kind of stuff. And then he was really fond of Valentine's Day because he saw Jan and he had that whole relationship thing going with her and that's still continuing in some capacity. And still, I don't think either of those match his birthday. <laughs> it's very clear that his birthday is probably his favorite holiday because it celebrates him, or at least it gives him the opportunity to further celebrate himself more than he normally does. We see that nice new pinstripe suit he's wearing, and he's uh, he dresses up for the occasion. It kind of reminds me a little bit of elementary school when, you know, 
it's my birthday and everyone kind of <laughs> makes a big deal about it. In fact, Chad, I think one of our earliest interactions on Twitter was something that I posted about how I hate when people try to push their own birthdays on other people. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you made some comment like, 97 days till my birthday or something like that. <laughs> that is so I don't remember that for sure, but I, I don't <laughs> doubt that it happened. That's funny. Uh, Jim even points out, you know, it, it's fun to watch Michael's birthday because he gets very excited and he eats a lot of cake and then he runs around the office and then he has a sugar crash in the afternoon and falls asleep. And that is when we get our work done. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like a tradition. It takes a whole half day for Michael to uh, celebrate and run around and make everyone pay attention to him and then the office can resume. And he even comes in late on his workday, right? Because he comes in and shortly after Kevin shows up and Michael says, hey, you're late. Uh, and somebody says something about it being noon. And he says, but I forgive you because doth it's my birthday. And <laughs> it, it's not something I'd picked up on before that it was actually like midday that Michael comes in and then he tries to get snarky with Kevin about being late uh, on the same day. I love that that moment where he's in the break room next to the coffee maker and the donuts he brought in and he's frozen pretending to pour coffee until somebody walks in and he does this with several people he does it with stanley he does it with uh toby is the one i wanted to talk about because toby is the only one that actually has any kind of interest he goes oh wow happy birthday michael i didn't know it was your birthday uh and he actually sounds really you know happy to celebrate michael and michael says you know you didn't know it was my birthday no donuts for you (laughs) Yeah, mostly just because it's it's Toby and Stanley probably didn't know it was Michael's birthday either, but he got a donut. Uh, but Michael does not like Toby. Yeah, exactly. He's so desperate for attention this day that he calls Jan and tells her a happy birthday, full well knowing that it is not, so that she can then say it's not her birthday. And he can say, oh, I just thought we had the same birthday, which gives her no polite option aside from wishing him a happy birthday, which is what he wanted all along. And it really shows that he's still pining after her after the events of Valentine's Day when she tried to officially cut things off and she was successful. And then she went and blew it by kissing him again at the very end. And he lies about the cameras being present so that she can say, quote, whatever is in her heart. And she just hangs up because she knows he's (laughs) lying about the cameras. I don't think we've had a real uh, Michael Jan interaction since that kiss a few episodes ago. So I guess that information is is forthcoming, but this this seems to be the the first conversation maybe that we've seen that they've had since that. Am I mistaken? No, I think you're right. I can't really think of any conversations they would have had between now and then, because since Valentine's Day, we've had Dwight's speech and they wouldn't have talked then. They had take your daughter to work day too, and she wasn't around for that either. So yeah, this is the first we've heard from Jan in any capacity since Valentine's Day. Michael even goes so far as to tell the party planning committee what he wants to be surprised by on his birthday, including a stripper gram. And so at one point, somebody, uh, a delivery woman shows up with some sort of package for Michael, whether it's related to his birthday or not, we don't know, but he just assumes she is a stripper. And so he slips a dollar into her chest pocket and he sits in a chair and he talks about how nervous he is and she has no idea what he's talking about, but it is so cringeworthy because he is expecting a lap dance or something. And Pam just says, listen, I'll sign for this. And uh, she walks out and Michael's like, oh, well, fine. (laughs) And so we don't know what all of this is for. He's drawing all this attention to himself. He's being so obnoxious and selfish about everything. And then we start getting snippets into why. And he tells us stories about his past birthdays. 
He says when he was six, his mom ordered a pony in a cart, but the pony gave him a rash. And so he stayed inside and got cream rubbed all over him while the rest of his friends were outside with the pony. And then when he was 16, he had a date with a girl named Julie and she thought it was with another Michael in their class. And she ended up getting him a cake and all that kind of stuff when it wasn't even his birthday on this Michael's birthday. So he has this history of really awful birthdays. And so that sort of explains why a man in his 40s is making such a, a big deal about such a simple holiday. And he even says that this birthday tops all those other birthdays as the worst birthday. And that's only because his co-workers aren't making a huge deal about his birthday. Yeah, we even get a, a deleted scene where he, he tells one more birthday story about when he was 20. His supposed best friend uh, ditched him on his birthday for his twin sister's sweet 16, which means it was his birthday too, Michael. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> if I had the same birthday as somebody, I wouldn't expect them to spend their birthday with me on my birthday because they have their own right. thing to do. But Michael, clearly very selfish when it comes to such a thing as this. Well, extra, extra selfish today because it's a big day for Kevin and the whole office is kind of, you know, standing in solidarity with Kevin and checking in on him. And every time he gets a phone call, everyone's really interested to see, you know, is this the news? And and Michael is so unapologetic. He's, well, that's great timing, Kevin. Terrible news for both of us. He's just so um disappointed that kevin would choose today of all days to possibly have skin cancer it's like how dare anything overshadow the birthday of michael scott <laughs> <laughs> and he he does research or as we find out in the deleted scenes he gets ryan to do research he doesn't even care enough to do the research on his own uh on skin cancer and finds out don't worry 98% of skin cancer patients fully recover. You have nothing to worry about. Just be happy. Laughter is the best medicine. Let's go do something. He even tells Kevin to take the rest of the day, but he doesn't say like, here's a day as a gift from me to you on this day where you're feeling down and where you're worried and all that kind of stuff. He says, you can take a sick day. <laughs> right. Like, you're not getting out of this scot-free. You, you have to take a sick day, but yeah, you should you should go home because you're driving the rest of us crazy. And Kevin makes a look on his face and says, crazy with worry. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Michael had this whole afternoon planned where he was going to take the office to the skating rink for his birthday, but he makes it out to be, oh, I'm going to do this for Kevin, you know, because Kevin's having a bad day. I'm such a good boss. I'll do this for him. And there's this huge happy birthday Michael banner hanging and... He says, oh, well, that wasn't supposed to be there. And Dwight says, well, I can take it down. I can get somebody to take that down. And Michael says, oh, don't worry about it. It's already up. <laughs> yeah. He's just, let's sneak that fact back in that it's still my birthday. Let's not forget. Stanley, before they leave from the office, Stanley says, does this have anything to do with your birthday? Michael just says, how dare you? That is gross. <laughs> and then it cuts immediately to the happy birthday Michael sign at the ice rink. And uh, at the ice rink, we we actually discover that Michael is a gifted skater. Uh, back in Valentine's Day, when he was at the Rockefeller Center in that skating rink, he mentioned passively the New York Rangers. And I referenced that, hey, hockey is actually a kind of important thing to Michael, and this is why. We find out that he's been skating all his life. He considered playing in the NHL, but he didn't want to spend so much time on the road away from his wife and kids. And he really wants a wife and kids, yeah. right? <laughs> which, which did make me feel for him a little bit, despite how selfish he's been this entire episode. 
he's been trying for a long time to find that special someone for him, uh, long enough that he actually could have had an NHL career if he was good enough. And at this point in his life, he'd be around or even past retiring age from hockey. Right. So it's all pretty sad that, you know, he hypothetically put his great hockey career on hold, like you said, if he was good enough, but no wife or kids to speak of. So he sells paper. But he does bump into Carol at the ice rink, uh, the woman who sold him his condo and again is played by Steve Carell's real wife, Nancy Walls. And he gets a chance to show again after Take Your Daughter to Work Day how good he is with kids when he's given the chance. He he takes his hockey stick and lets them grab on and he starts skating them across the rink. Let's not forget, of course, that he assumed that Carol was there because the rink might have been on the market. <laughs> and she says, no, Michael, right. I don't just sell real estate. <laughs> I'm here with my kids. <laughs> um, but that was a nice moment. And you kind of see her appreciate the fact that he's good with kids so that was a that was nice and then kevin finally gets the news about his skin cancer and michael is clear across the rink and speeds over and comes to like this skidding uh halt on the ice over to kevin and all the attention is brought to him and then when kevin hangs up the phone he says he, he takes his big sigh of relief and says it's negative and everybody else looks relieved, as they should, because negative when talking about test results is a good thing uh, in this situation. And Michael doesn't know that. And so he throws off his hockey gloves and he gives Kevin this big hug around his midsection, says, hey, we're, we're going to beat this, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and he rips off his paper fake uh, Livestrong bracelet that he made for himself. <laughs> I love that paper live strong bracelet. Uh, I mean, the the organization is still around despite all the Lance Armstrong fiasco. But I, I had a live strong bracelet back in the day. Yeah. Um, yep. Middle school or middle so school, around yeah. the time of this episode. Yeah, because we were in middle school oh four to oh six. So that's around this time. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess we just dated ourselves for the audience. That's nice. I, I guess so, but. Uh, Moving on to Pam a little bit, um, Pam spends the majority of the day, it seems like, away from the office. She and Jim decide to go do something really nice for Kevin. They go to the grocery store and just pick him up some stuff, you know, whatever you can get at the grocery store. They pick him up some lunch, 69 cup of noodles. It's his favorite number and his favorite lunch. They get him M&Ms because it's his favorite snack. So they're they're making an effort. They're out. And at the end of the episode, Pam says, you know, Michael's birthday was actually pretty cool. It was a good day. I'm hoping she says that because she spent the whole day with Jim, pretty much. And they went skating together. And it was a good episode, I I, I think, for her. Because she uh, kind of got to reconnect with Jim a little bit. They've been talking a little bit less than we had seen at the beginning of the series. So, of course, I'm rooting for, for Pam and Jim. So, I I like that for them. They've definitely been distant with each other, and this was a chance for them to reconnect and bond again and joke with each other and tease each other and dare each other to talk over the intercom and call each other dorks and all this kind of stuff. They have a great time together. And Dwight, this whole time, is the most gung-ho for Michael's birthday. <laughs> he even calls it at one point uh, during the episode the most important day of the year. And so there's one point where he's playing For the Longest Time by William Joel on recorder <laughs> because it's Michael's favorite song, which, fun fact, is the second Billy Joel song referenced in The Office at this point, I believe. And the first was We Didn't Start the Fire back in The Fire. 
And I mention that because Billy Joel is my favorite. Not sure if I've mentioned that on the show before, but I love me some Billy Joel. So <laughs> it's always fun for me watching this because Michael is a big Billy Joel fan, pointing out every time one of his songs pops up. Chad, I believe he prefers William Joel. William Joel, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dwight does do a couple of sweet things. He he celebrates Michael's exact birth moment at 11.23 a.m. and enacts the Hebrew tradition of hoisting the birthday boy up in a chair. And it's, it's a sweet moment, but then they shove Michael's head into the ceiling tiles and it's ruined. And this whole time, Angela's not very happy about Dwight's enthusiasm. Uh, they're supposed to have a, quote, meeting to discuss finances later but she tells him not to expect any cookie. Ugh. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, just... that's about Ryan's reaction too. <laughs> and of course, yes, yeah, so of course they, they have this coded conversation, which is not very coded right in front of Ryan in the break room. It's just the three of them and they start fairly innocent. And then it just becomes very obvious. And the camera pans to Ryan and he just does not know what he's just heard because this is still <laughs> very much a secret between Angela and Dwight. Pam believes she knows what's going on and Ryan may now as well. So this is probably the first he's heard of it. So that's kind of a weird way to be informed. Angela's exercising quite a bit of control over Dwight a lot of the time. Uh, When he comes in with that list of things that Michael wants to be surprised by uh, during the party planning committee meeting, she kicks him out. She says it's a closed door meeting. And he doesn't argue. He doesn't even try. He just sort of droops his head a little bit and walks out without putting up a fight. Uh, And Pam, every time they share a moment, every time Angela and Dwight share a moment, she always just sort of finds the camera like, I can't believe this is still going on. And I'm the only one who knows about it. Um, Now, what about some funny moments in the episode? I didn't have a whole lot written down, uh, although I did laugh at several points. But what were some of your funny moments? I loved the uh, cold open, the pyramid scheme. So Michael (laughs) is selling calling cards of all things, which has been made clear that who uses calling cards anymore? And Michael is explaining, don't worry, this is not a pyramid scheme. All it is is that Phil has recruited me and one other guy, and we are each getting three people. And he's, he's drawing a diagram on the whiteboard. Jim just goes up and draws a triangle around Michael's diagram, proving that it is, in fact, a pyramid scheme. And the camera pans to Michael and he just realizes that he's uh, bought into something that is likely not going to bring him any return at all. <laughs> Plus, it's calling cards. Yeah, Michael seems like the kind of guy who would have lots of viruses on his computer or would <laughs> lose lots of money all the time because he's gullible online. And in today's day and age, being gullible online is the worst kind of gullible, yeah. if you ask me. Lots of princes of, of, of Nigeria and lots of, you know people that really, really need your help and your credit card number. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, Oscar says about this, it sounds like a get-rich-quick scheme, and Michael misunderstands Oscar's intention behind that and says, yes, thank you, you will get rich quick. We all will. (laughs) And the fact that he's trying to sell his employees on this at work is pretty inappropriate as well. That's for sure. Another funny moment from Michael in this episode that I, I I just wanted to list as an appreciation is the fantastic... Dwight and Michael raise the roof moment because that is a great gif that I use all the time. So thank you for that moment from this episode. I'm pretty sure we've used it on our Twitter several times already. (laughs) We have. And it's funny. I'll go ahead and mention there's a a deleted or extended scene where Michael starts singing the Black Eyed Peas, My Humps, while while raising the roof with Dwight. (laughs) 
I think the last one I wanted to mention, we're getting more and more in-depth into Kelly Kapoor's character. She was saying that Princess Diana's funeral was more upsetting than her own sister's funeral. Makes a lot of sense now that we know the real Kelly, but it was uh, surprising. But now we also know that Kelly has a sister that's passed away, so that's a lot of you know information on her. We're learning more and more about Miss Kapoor. Yeah, we're getting a real sense of where her priorities are. (laughs) (laughs) She references a lifeguard on Grey's Anatomy that had skin cancer as well. And I wanted to draw attention to the fact that this show, this episode, debuted in 2006 and is referencing a TV show that is still running 11 years and 12 seasons later. Yeah. Like, literally, on the other side of my bedroom wall right now, my roommates are watching new episodes of Grey's Anatomy. And I have to say, back in the day, I was a pretty big Grey's Anatomy fan, actually, and uh, I am not anymore. I do not keep up with it, but I can't remember that there was a lifeguard that had skin cancer, so they may have made that up. Grey's Anatomy was only in its second season at this point in the show, so either Kelly... uh, Either they intentionally referenced something or made something up just for the the sake of making something up and having a reference, or Kelly maybe is just so absorbed into celebrity culture that she watches a lot of TV shows and maybe have gotten mixed things up. I don't know. But I also think that Kelly's the kind of person who doesn't mix up pop culture kind of stuff (laughs) because she is so absorbed into it. I don't know. Um, But in any case, it just sort of blew my mind that this show is still around 11 years later. Yeah, that is crazy to think about. Okay, now what about deleted scenes that we haven't mentioned? Michael talking about his birthday again. He's explaining how good bosses share their birthdays with their employees. A a good boss says, celebrate me. But a great boss says, celebrate yourselves because you made me great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> full of crap. <laughs> is so full of crap. He is so into his birthday. And we we see over the series a bit of birthday celebration. He makes a point to celebrate all the employees' birthdays, or at least most of the employees' birthdays, but none quite like his own birthday. Uh, that one takes priority for sure. And at the risk of getting somewhat explicit, Dwight has a talking head in the deleted scenes that I could not believe (laughs) and I understand completely why it was not included in the show because he talks about how Michael's birthday is hard for him because Michael gets very excited under a lot of pressure (laughs) builds up until he's ready to explode and Dwight is his right hand man and it's his job to release (laughs) the pressure so he can enjoy himself if only for a moment I am not going to go any further into that (laughs) because it Seems pretty clear to me what the intention behind that talking head was. That reminds me of one of those things, like, almost in a kid's movie that you can you can skirt all around what you're actually saying, and that the kids would have no idea, but the adults are like, wow, that was kind of filthy. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And the best part is, Dwight has no idea no. what he's saying. <laughs> but it is very, very clearly heavy sexual innuendo. <laughs> So yeah, that that's a thing that happened. <laughs> Speaking of Dwight, I also love the talking head interview in the deleted scenes that he has where he's admiring the idea of skin cancer and that someone's skin can turn against their own person and how brilliant he thinks that is. Just more of Dwight's evil personality coming out. Not evil necessarily, but villainous anyway. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. 
only other deleted scene I had to mention at least was Angela is judgmental of Kevin at one point. Uh, she says she doesn't fear dying because she knows where she's going. Of course, she looks up. She's implying heaven, but that Kevin should maybe worry. And you think for a second that she's just insinuating that she doesn't think that Kevin is a Christian. But then she like leans forward and whispers into the camera, gluttony. Like she's making not a fat joke, but she's saying, well, he's fat. So obviously he's going to hell because that's one of the deadly sins. Yeah. I mean, of of all of the... Um... We don't know a lot of things about Kevin at this point, but we we had a moment in Bring Your Daughter to Work Day where he said, I got to keep an eye on my kid and make sure she doesn't filter through my computer. And during email surveillance, he says, I got to erase a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. We can kind of guess as to some traits that Kevin might have personality wise, but Angela, of course, goes for gluttony given his size. Just typical Angela. So, Chad, I believe you have our discussion topic for this episode. Yeah, we thought it would be interesting to talk about one of our best birthday parties or the best birthday party, just something memorable in regards to celebrating your own birthday. <laughs> so, for me, it was, I think it was my sixth birthday party. My mom planned this whole thing. It was like an, it was a sea or ocean themed party, which sounds a little lame until you were there. It was awesome. We had a bouncy house with like the killer whale on top. And my mom made individual cupcakes with fish and sea creatures and everything. And all the party baskets or all the um, party favors were like sand castle tools and everything. It was a lot of fun. It was a really good one. It was just in our backyard. It was pretty simple, but it was a lot of fun. Big turnout. <laughs> so it was nice. It was I think my most remembered birthday party. What about you? Yeah, that does sound like fun. Um, there was one, I, I don't know if I'd call it my best, but it definitely stands out as one of the highlights of my childhood birthday parties, at least, was uh, my brother and I only have our birthdays 12 days apart. So we did a joint party one year. We did it a couple years. But this year, we did a backwards-themed birthday party. My mom went all gung-ho into planning this thing. I think the invitations were even printed backwards, so you had to like view them in a in a mirror or something to read them and everybody showed up wearing their clothes backwards and there were games that involved going backwards and doing backwards things uh it was a good time i i don't remember a whole lot of the details but i do remember that was a thing that happened and uh, of course i've mentioned that i did a i had a gilligan's island themed birthday party when i was in like fourth grade because that makes sense for a 10 year old in the <laughs> 2000s to have a, a, a birthday party themed around a show from the 60s uh but I, I guess I was a little bit of a weird kid. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that's what stands out to me. I think the other possible one I had, it wasn't a birthday party. In fact, it was kind of the opposite. My parents, I was I was under 10 and they remember telling me, oh my gosh, Katie's all grown up because they were like, hey, you want to, I don't know, go to Chuck E. Cheese or something? And I, as a kid said, I am far too old for Chuck E. Cheese. Can we please just grab some Thai food and call it a night? <laughs> that is fantastic i uh apparently was a 40 year old divorcee and just wanted a very <laughs> relaxing birthday so that was i was never I, I wasn't young for very long apparently nowadays i just uh get my family together and we go to like a sit in a, a dine-in movie we we oh, i pick yeah. out a movie and we we go hang out and order our food and we get to eat while watching a movie and that's always a good time i've done that for a few years now yeah that's the way to do it 
Well, let's go ahead and go into our next episode, which is the 20th episode of season two titled Drug Testing. Drug Testing aired on April 27th, 2006, directed by Greg Daniels and written by Jennifer Salota. Dwight has found a joint, as in marijuana, in the parking lot of the office park, and he goes full-on volunteer sheriff's deputy. He launches into an official investigation, or I say official, as official as a volunteer sheriff deputy can pull off, and he interviews everyone in the office to hopefully find the culprit unsuccessfully. When, when no one takes the investigation seriously, Dwight orders drug testing for the office, leading Michael to panic because apparently he may have accidentally gotten high at an Alicia Keys concert over the weekend. So he tries to first take away all blame from himself so that he doesn't have to be tested, but Dwight insists, and so Michael has to convince a conflicted Dwight to share his own urine so that he can pass the drug test. Meanwhile, all this is going on, Pam manages to jinx Jim when they say something at the same time, and he is unable to break the jinx when the vending machine is out of Coca-Cola. So Pam spends the rest of the day teasing and taunting Jim and his inability to talk. It's a big Dwight episode, which is always fun. He is in this ridiculous um, sheriff's, I'm going to call it a costume, because it's not even a uniform at this point. He's not a real sheriff. And he looks so, as Jim puts it, cute. Just <laughs> He's just playing dress up. <laughs> yeah, Jim even calls him uh, one of the village people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he's conducting these interviews with, with the, his coworkers and one by one pulling them in and questioning them on their knowledge of marijuana. Have they ever used any drugs? Some of them kind of fool around with Dwight. You know, Pam has a deleted scene where she uh, jokes around and says, you know, I, I really don't remember what was happening that night. I was just a teensy bit high. So it's a lot of fun to watch Dwight kind of pull his authority that does not exist over his co-workers yeah he interrogates people like kelly he threatens ryan and says don't make me have to do this the hard way and ryan says what's the hard way and we find out it's really the hard way for dwight he has to go to the sheriff and get permission and then a judge has to uh, submit an order for a warrant and then the warrant comes back and then they search the car and all that kind of stuff it sounded like a lot of work for dwight and so ryan sort of calls his bluff and says sure go do that and then he interviews Oscar and is super racist to Oscar because uh, he says, you know, Oscar visited his grandmother in Mexico when he was five. So do you know what that means? Potential drug mule. And he straight up asks Oscar, have you ever pooped a balloon? And Oscar just walks out, understandably. Because he was a very small child. One of many reasons to be offended, but it doesn't even make sense. He was a very small child when he visited his grandmother. And that's just a very ignorant and stupid comment from Dwight. Um, but he, uh, when he interviews Angela, he says, you know, I have to do this just because I, I don't want it to look like I'm giving you any favors by not interviewing you. And he closes the door and pretends to, you know, yell at her. And we see a smile kind of creep up on Angela's face because she uh, secretly enjoys this kind of game that they're playing and tricking their coworkers. Right. And then there's Phyllis and he hands her a picture of marijuana and asks her if she knows what that is. And she says, marijuana. He says, how do you know that? Well, because it's labeled Dwight. Very good job interviewing. <laughs> and then Creed comes in and Creed calls it by its scientific name. He says that is Northern Lights Cannabis Indica. 
And Dwight obviously isn't very well informed on drugs after all. He says, no, it's marijuana. And he's so put out because he thinks that <laughs> Creed completely is oblivious. But no, Creed apparently and would obviously have probably the most experience of anybody in the office because of his past experience as uh, a musician in a rock and roll band back in the 60s. We have to mention Jim's interview because Jim turns it against him. He says, marijuana causes memory loss. How do you know that it wasn't you? You, you said that I would be conducting this interview when, you walk, when I walked in here. Now, how much pot did you smoke? <laughs> and it just The camera just looks at uh, <laughs> Dwight like bewildered. Like he's actually considering, wait a second, is it possible that this could have been mine? It, it's just a funny way that Jim just completely turns around. <laughs> to my knowledge, I don't believe marijuana is a memory loss drug. Not that I have heard about anyway. It's so funny that Dwight, I mean, clearly does not know about marijuana. And Jim kind of uses that advantage and, you know, makes Dwight believe that maybe I did. I don't remember. And if it's a memory loss drug, I wouldn't know what I and when the camera pans to his face and he just looks so shocked. And in the commentary, the director was saying, bigger, I need bigger. I need a bigger reaction there because it was so funny. Just that look of shock on Dwight's face that it might have been me. (laughs) He is so concerned with finding the perpetrator that he even calls in drug testing. He says it has to be official and it has to be urine. I, I, I would have liked to have seen a tally of how many times he says urine during the course of this episode. And that's something they also talk about in the commentary is that he says it an awful lot. But he starts asking around what medications people may or may not be on. He assumes that Kevin is on Rogaine. Which is funny because Rogaine isn't something that you take by mouth. It's something like you apply. It's a, a right. topical it's like a lotion or, or a cream or something. Um, so you don't, it's, you're not on it. You don't ingest it. Um, but then he asks Angela if she's on anything. He's obviously concerned whether or not she's on birth control because of their relationship. And she's not going to say it out loud. Uh, she's not going to admit to having a need for a birth control pill. But she sort of gives him a look and he he just says, good, and lets it go. And the other people at accounting are just sort of left confused that Dwight would be so insistent on her having some sort of other medication that she won't say. Well, and it's interesting because I was never really sure what that look meant. And then in the commentary, I believe it was, I'm not sure who it was, who said when that look came up, Oh, what does that mean? Does that mean she's on the pill, not on the pill? Um, Is there a reason she's not on the pill? It's as if they weren't sure what that look meant either. I assume that since Dwight says good, that she is. But I was never really too sure. Yeah, I wasn't sure either. In fact, the only reason I said that she probably was on the pill, the the officequotes.net website that I use for reference, uh, it says, gives Dwight a knowing look. And he says good. Um, mm. Now, I don't know, you, you could still interpret that either way, but I would assume because of how secretive they've kept this whole relationship up to this point anyways, that that would extend to a possible pregnancy. And right. if she was <laughs> to get pregnant, then somebody would have to admit something somewhere. That would kind of give it away. <laughs> I'm inclined to think that that look was that, yes, she is on the pill. Right. Yeah. This whole time, Michael is... First, making fun of the whole investigation, he calls Dwight a narc, uh, which amuses Kevin quite a bit. And so Michael, of course, hams it up because somebody is so amused by it, even if it is Kevin. <laughs> and uh, 
he goes on and on about how it's just one joint. It's not a big deal, Dwight. Stop being a narc. Stop being, stop harshing our mellow. And he does a, a couple of stoner impressions. And he, it's, it's all fun and games for Michael until Dwight orders the drug testing. And it needs to be mentioned, I think, purely for comedic <laughs> points of view. But Dwight has met the lady who was testing the urine before. And he introduces himself as the man who uh, had green urine several years prior. The lady remembers him uh, based on that. And he says, oh, don't worry, I'm all better. But (laughs) A, what? And B, the fact that he remembered that this lady was the one that tested his urine. And it's just, what an odd interaction, but a great uh, little history lesson on Dwight. (laughs) It was a strange thing for him to reference in the first place, like, Um, you might remember that you tested my urine a few years back and presumably no, she wouldn't because this is her job. (laughs) She literally probably handles tons of these a day and that was years ago. But then because it was green, that stands out in her memory Um, and we don't have any sort of explanation. (laughs) We don't ever get any sort of explanation, but we do know that Dwight had green urine for some reason and it made an impression. (laughs) I'm not sure I want an explanation. (laughs) Oh, I don't think I do either. (laughs) But Michael, for one thing, he was at an Alicia Keys concert, which seems really strange. But I won't put it past Michael that he gets into Alicia Keys. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) he's worried that he got high over the weekend. There's no confirmation whether he did or didn't. Um, He was told that they were clover cigarettes, I believe they say. And he thinks they were, but he's still worried about it. And he is very insistent that he hates drugs so 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 much he calls this conference room meeting and overemphasizes to everybody how much he despises drugs and none of you despise drugs as much as i do apparently and so for that reason you all will be tested and i will not and uh, i have to mention a moment during this conference room meeting so at this point jim is jinxed and michael thinks it'd be a good idea for everyone to go around and tell a story where drugs affected their lives or the life of a loved one. And Pam, just messing with Jim because she knows Jim can't speak, says, oh, I I think Jim has a great story about uh, maybe a a cousin that that got wrapped up in the world of drugs. And Jim kind of shakes his head. No, 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 no. It's I don't want to talk about it. Of course, none of this is true. But Michael, no, Jim, you you have to tell us this is this is the perfect space to do that. You should. And so Jim puts on this great act where he stands up and, of course, not being able to speak, pretends that it's just far too difficult for him to talk about. And he kind of chokes up and tears up and mouths, I can't, I'm sorry, and sits back down. And Pam is so impressed that he just acted out this very emotional, fake trauma in his life. It was excellently. It was wonderful. It's actually pretty incredible acting. He does it all without saying a word. It it, it's it's great. He, tears are in his eyes. It's awesome. Yeah, and that's something they talk about in the commentary is that John Krasinski is apparently very good at crying on command. And that they wrote a lot of this episode, the uh, the jinx portion anyway, because John Krasinski is just so, he's such a good actor that he doesn't really need words. And so they were kind of testing him and how far can he go? If he can't speak for more than half an episode, what's that going to be like? Is he still going to be really, really good? And he is. I mean, he he has such an expressive face uh, that we get so much from him, even without being able to speak. 
to finish up talking about Michael, at least, he convinces Dwight, who's not very keen on this, but he does it anyways, to give him some of his own urine instead. Dwight does it, but he resigns from the sheriff's department and turns in his uniform. Um, and Michael sees how torn up he is about this. And you could say Michael does this to make Dwight feel better. But you could also say Michael does this to make Dwight feel better so that he remains loyal to Michael. Like, there's an ulterior motive here, for sure. He makes Dwight the official security supervisor of the branch, which sounds like another assistant to the regional manager position to me. <laughs> right. But uh, his troubles are forgotten. Dwight is all in on this. He thinks, oh, man, this is great. We actually get to meet Hank, I think, for sure, for the first time. I'm pretty sure. I think Hank has shown up once or twice before, but... I'm pretty sure that this is the first time he's at least been named. I think in the commentary, I think they said that all of his other stuff was cut in the past. I remember him appearing in the background or being at the front desk when they walked in or out or right. something like that. But I but he didn't have any lines. Yeah. And I think this is the first time they explicitly say Hank. So everybody right. meet Hank. <laughs> Here's Hank. But this really does tear up Dwight that he is doing this illegal thing by falsifying Michael's drug test. Uh, he debates over it for a long time. He goes to the, the his sad place in the stairwell uh, and sort of moans over it for a little bit. And when he does eventually pee in the coffee cup, he walks back and forth carrying, <laughs> carrying it around the office. And uh, he does give it to him. He does go through with it. But then he does turn in his uniform. And like I said, Michael just does what he needs to do to keep Dwight loyal. You'd think that this would be the end of that relationship because his actions led to Dwight giving up something he was very fond of, which was being a volunteer sheriff deputy. But Michael knew just what to do to 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 keep him on his side. Dwight turns in his uniform, which we learn in the deleted scenes that he was never supposed to have. He um <laughs> he had the uniform, he had the hat, he had weapons grade mace. He had the badge, like, yeah. The badge, like a real police badge. None of this he was supposed to have. And the uh, the sheriff he was speaking to clicks on a recorder as they're talking and says, why don't you tell me all of the things you did while you were being a volunteer sheriff's deputy? Because none of this he was actually supposed to be doing. I have a feeling that they, similar to assistant to the regional manager, kind of appointed Dwight a volunteer sheriff's deputy as a formality or as a, not a formality, but as a... Uh, it's sort of a figurehead position for Dwight to be a, a volunteer sheriff's deputy. He's not an actual sheriff, but he doesn't see it that way. It sounds like something that they would give to a, a kid a certificate for and like a plastic right. star for a badge. Uh, <laughs> but then Dwight would take it much further than that. To finish off the character interaction section, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about the whole Jinx situation because there's nothing saying that Jim just couldn't be a spoil sport and ignore it because they are out of coke and just go on with their lives. But because it's Pam, he wants to play along. And so she forces him to listen to Kelly talk about, uh, to, to talk to him about a date with Ryan without the, the possibility of escape or intrusion. Uh, there's the whole conference room scene. Uh, there's one point where they're sitting in the, they're, they're sitting at a table together and she says, you look like you have something that you really want to tell me. And you, you can tell me anything, Jim. And the one time she's being completely open to hearing absolutely anything from him, whether she's joking or not, he can't do it if he wants to play her game. And he actually looks kind of sad in that moment. And she actually looks kind of like, what's going, what, what's happening? Why, why are you looking at me like that? 
And right. sure enough, the next scene that we see them together, she walks in with the Coke uh, and gets him to buy it from her so that they can finally talk again. But it's, it's interesting that, that Jim is so willing to play this game uh, despite all the situations that she puts him through. And then when she invites him to tell her anything, if he wants to continue playing that game, he can't do it. There was a a note I had written down before I watched the commentary that the commentary addressed. And I, I wanted to ask you about that, Chad. When I was watching this Jim and Pam interaction, Pam was so excited and happy this episode. She was bouncing around and skipping even to the vending machine. And um, I thought she seemed to be having so much fun with Jim that, you know, her friend was back and they were joking around again and flirting a lot. And um, Jenna Fisher in the commentary said, I don't know what was up with me. You know, we must have had a lot of coffee. I was just apparently really excited this week. Um, I was hoping that was an acting choice and because of Jim what do you think? I definitely noticed it as well. And to me, it came across as she was just being super flirty without maybe realizing it. Because um, especially right. when she first jinxes him and they, they head to the break room to go to the vending machines to get a Coke. She's like skipping along behind him and she is super right. bouncy and having a good time. Um, you know, maybe even if she didn't think of it as a character decision, she might have just been so in character that it, it just sort of naturally happened. Like, wow, this is a fun thing. And I'm having a good time with my friend. And I'm not thinking about how this may come across to other people. But it it really does come across as flirtatious. And also in the commentary, Jenna does talk about how when she watches these scenes with uh, Jim, like that scene I talked about where they're sitting at the table and she says, you can tell me anything. Those scenes break her heart watching outside of filming it but when she's in the moment as pam she says i'm oblivious like i don't even think about that when i'm sitting there filming the scene and as audience members that's how we feel too is that we look at pam and we think (laughs) why aren't you noticing this pam why aren't you seeing what we see why are you so oblivious to everything that is happening but she is and so i think that's a big part of it too yeah that makes a lot of sense um jenna fisher does seem to be very in tune with Pam when they're filming, as you said, because she doesn't realize that that Jim is in love with her. Like, as you said, while they're filming, none of that makes sense to her. She's just with her friend. But watching it, she realizes what Jim's feelings are for Pam. So that makes a lot of sense with her with her attitude and her skipping and general happiness that that episode. And to close off the episode, Jim has a talking head this is post breaking the jinx. So he's finally able to talk and he, he asks all the questions that you and I have had about Dwight so far in this podcast is uh, why does he do the things he does for Michael? What is he getting out of that relationship? And I know we keep referencing the commentary before we actually get to our commentary section, but they blew my mind because they talk about how these questions that Jim is asking about Dwight and Michael are applicable to him and Pam as well. Like what is he getting out of his relationship with Pam right now. Yes, they're friends. Yes, they enjoy each other's company. But he sees it as a woman that he loves and that he wants to marry. And she is about to get married to another man. So what is Jim getting from this relationship with Pam that benefits him in any sort of way long term? That that sort of blew my mind. Because Jim's talking head is regarding Michael and Dwight. But what's what we're seeing is... 
Jim and Pam in the break room sharing the Coke together that, that Pam had Jim buy for her. So it's it's implied from the talking head that he's not meaning to be about him and Pam, but th- the camera crew shows us kind of that, that parallel between Michael and Dwight and Jim and Pam, which is pretty brilliant that I think a lot of people don't pick up on, and it took me a, a several watches to be like, oh. And Rain Wilson is in the commentary, and he said, you know, that's so weird to me how this ends on such a sour note, because that, that talking head is the last thing we hear. And they say, you know, we wanted to linger a little bit longer on that moment of Jim and Pam drinking the Coke to really emphasize that point, that Jim was unknowingly referencing his relationship with Pam as well, but they were out of time for the episode, so they had to cut it short. So I wonder if that would have made it more clear, but it's kind of nice to have little moments like that become more clear the more you watch it. Yeah, I like that. It was left ambiguous in that I did have that sort of aha moment when watching today right. <laughs> and listening to that commentary. And it's really going to change, I think, future viewings for sure. Now on to funny moments. Uh, more stuff from the conference room meeting that Michael calls to to express his hatred of drugs. He implies that Cheech and Chong, which are funny comedian duo from, I don't know, 70s, 80s, uh, they would be funnier if they didn't smoke pot. But that's their whole shtick is that <laughs> they're funny because they smoke pot. They're stoner characters. Um, and he's making up fake stats. He's asking everyone to look left, then look right. And one of those people will be dead from drug use at some point in their lives. And it's just funny listening to him spout all this nonsense throughout this whole scene. The Cheech and Chong comment was so obvious that even Angela, who's, you know, the uptight Christian woman, makes a huge eye roll at Michael. Like, they're only funny because they do drugs. (laughs) (laughs) That even she would know that reference. He also says this year, more people will use cocaine than will read a book to their children. (laughs) (laughs) And then one of my my favorite Michael quotes, uh, just looking back on the series as a whole, is, do you think that smoking drugs is cool? Do you think that doing alcohol (laughs) is cool? (laughs) (laughs) And this is coming from the guy who bought 15 bottles of vodka for the office Christmas party. And smoked something that he didn't know what he was smoking at a concert with strangers. <laughs> yep, yep. He's clearly making up a whole lot of stuff to try and distance himself <laughs> from all of this. And he, he's got a board where he's written down a whole bunch of illegal drugs, quote, illegal drugs. Uh, for one, he's got crack, uh, crack, cocaine, and blow written down, which are all basically the same thing. Right. He's got down hookah, which is not a drug. It's a pipe for smoking right. tobacco. And then he wrote heroin. But he spelled it incorrectly. He put the E at the end, which is in reference to like a female superhero or to just a a strong female in general, a heroine, somebody who is someone worth looking up to. It's a hero, but a heroine, right? Yeah, the the, the drug doesn't have that last E, but that's Michael. (laughs) (laughs) That's Michael. One of my favorite Dwight lines this episode was, I didn't become a Lackawanna County Volunteer Sheriff's Deputy to make friends. And by the way, I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) that's just he's bragging about the fact that he hasn't made any friends doing his job he's proud of it for sure yeah and the um the countless times that they say urine especially dwight says urine in this episode and with with that moment with angela where he says i want to give him michael all the urine he needs (laughs) just he's so loyal to michael and the fact that he would falsify a drug test is just so sad and kind of sweet but really sad there's this really interesting talking head where we learn in the commentary that 
he actually improvised this talking head for the pilot episode and they just sort of repurposed it for this one. And it's when he says, my father's name was Dwight Schrute. My grandfather's name was Dwight Schrute. His father's name, Dwight Schrute. Amish. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes on to talk about how his father used to cheat at playing games or whatever when he was a kid and he didn't turn him in. But if he had known, he would have turned him in. And it sort of devastated him when he did find out later in life. But uh, that's clearly sort of paralleling his relationship with Michael is that he has a lot of respect for Michael. He didn't think of him as somebody who would disobey the law. But uh, because he has disobeyed the law, he has lost respect for Michael until Michael gives him the security job that makes him really happy. I love at the beginning of the episode, I I neglected to mention uh, Dwight interviewing Kevin. He says... These are the the symptoms of marijuana usage. Tell me who this sounds like. He says, slow moving, inattentive, dull, constantly snacking, shows a lack of motivation. And to be fair, all of that does sound like Kevin. And Kevin kind of nods. And and then he realizes that he should probably be offended. And he says, hey. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, you've got Ryan, who has two specific moments. There's one where he's talking to the urinologist and he's, He's asking, are, are you hiring or not? And she she sort of expresses like, you want to work in the urine analysis lab? He says, yeah, m- maybe. <laughs> He's very desperate <laughs> to get out of Dunder Mifflin, apparently. He looks around the office at that point when she asks, and he just kind of looks and is like, uh... Yeah, yeah, maybe. Like he's he's so <laughs> desperate to do anything but what he's doing right now, which is just in character with what he's been for both seasons that we've seen so far. He's he hates his job. And then I just wanted to mention it's not a funny moment, but uh the phantom unnamed woman who still is working at the office at this point can actually be seen yeah. during the scene where Dwight is talking to the urinologist uh just in the background through the doorway. So, keep an eye out. You'll see her there. She's a uh, gray-haired woman, I believe, yes. uh, about shoulder length. And she's she's over um, by Michael in the background. I think, yeah, they, they mentioned that in the commentary. That's right. Speaking of commentary, any uh, moments that we have not mentioned? I know we probably got through a lot of them. Oscar Nunez is in the commentary. And he, said, he, he points out that this is the second time that Oscar says, what are you implying? The first one was in Halloween when he was dressed as a woman and Michael insinuates things about Oscar's sexuality. Uh, So interesting that he has a sort of, maybe not a catchphrase at this point, but he has said the same line before. It might be just sort of a trademark of his character. And uh, also worth noting that this was the last episode of season two that they shot. They, They just aired it sort of out of order. It was maybe it was intentionally in this order. They just filmed it last because that's the way the schedule worked out. I don't know, but it was the last season or the last episode to be filmed for season two. I wanted to mention that Creed Bratton, the actor, was entertaining the cast with stories of his life uh, on the road as a musician, likely as it regarded to drugs, um, because this whole episode obviously was about drug testing. And I believe it was Jenna Fisher that said he was uh, telling stories to everyone about his, his previous life, which is pretty much right on par with Creed Bratton, the character. And they, they definitely confirm in the commentary that Creed Bratton is very much playing himself as Creed Bratton. It's not necessarily a super fictionalized version. Yes, he gets a little bit more eccentric as the show goes on. But at least at, least at this point, he's playing himself, which is cool. 
Jenna Fisher also confirms that the shot where they break the jinx and uh, Jim buys the Coke back from her and he just says, hi, that was the very first take they shot and they used it in the episode because it was so perfect, which is pretty cool that they, they just nailed it first go. It was sweet. Yeah, the hi. And she says, hey. And it's it's like meeting an old friend again after a long time. Like it was just they got to finally talk and they were clearly both so happy about that. That was so sweet. And I also just thought it was interesting that they debated apparently whether or not at the end when Pam and Jim are catching up at the end of the day after breaking the jinx, whether or not they should drink out of separate cups or whether they should share the can of Coke. And they shot it both ways, but they ended up going with the separate cups shot. Which I think makes sense. Yeah, I think that does make more sense. It'd be a little bit too intimate, I think, if they shared a co- or shared one can, because she is engaged. And I think if Roy were to walk in on them sharing one can of Coke, I mean, that would be, that seems really like personal for some reason to me. I don't know if I'm just crazy, but that seems awfully personal for two friends uh, who don't hang out a lot outside of work to be doing. Yeah, I mean, for me, I typically don't mind sharing a drink with somebody if uh, I'm familiar with them and decent friends with them or something like that. Uh, But just considering their situation where Jim has had a crush on her and Pam is engaged to this other man who has a bit of an anger problem, it's probably for the best that they use the separate cups. So I I think they they, they went the right route with doing it that way. Agreed. Now, how about deleted scenes? We have several for this episode, so maybe just a few that I wanted to mention. Um, we see some more impressions from Jim, which is something we haven't uh, talked about, actually, I guess. We we skipped some of the impressions this episode. Jim, in the episode, does an impression of Stanley, and Pam mentions that he also can do a good impression of Phyllis. But in the deleted scenes, we see one for Kevin and one for Angela. I particularly like the Angela one. He just gets really tall with his posture and raises one eyebrow and kind of tilts his head very very well and they they mention in the commentary again that that john krasinski is exceptional at impressions yeah which is why they included it for his character in the episode um and he even does one of dwight at one point later in the deleted scenes where he just sort of sits up straight at his desk and looks around real jittery like and uh oh yeah (laughs) and then he goes back down with his head down and Dwight does the exact same thing following that, which is so funny. Uh, and him and him and Pam are having to try and keep a straight face while Dwight just stares on because Pam was laughing for some reason. There's this one deleted scene where Dwight starts making judgment calls on Jim's life, which I thought was really interesting. He says he has no girlfriend, no sales to brag about. He's not part of any social or organizational clubs. If that was my life, I'd do drugs. I mean, ouch. Ouch, Dwight. That is That cuts deep a little bit. A lot of people aren't in clubs or organizations. Lots of people aren't salespeople. And lots of people don't have girlfriends. That's a pretty normal life. You can have a totally satisfactory and and pleasant life not having those things. And so I think Dwight is just boosting himself in that moment. Just I, you know, I'm a great salesman and I have a girlfriend and I'm part of clubs. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Right. There's one deleted scene with Meredith while while Jim is still jinxed. Meredith comes up to Jim and says, you know, Pam told me that, that there was something you wanted to talk to me about. And Jim just kind of shakes his head um, because he's under the jinx. He can't talk. And Meredith starts assuming 
horrible things she says oh my gosh are they, is, is michael gonna fire me and jim shakes his head and she says okay are they gonna take away my kid and she gets really upset and jim just without speaking gets really emphatic no 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 that's not <laughs> it that's not it please don't go there and meredith kind of calms down and walks away and jim turns to pay i'm like oh my gosh why would you do that to me <laughs> and they start laughing but that almost went horribly wrong. Yeah, it got real dark real fast. Uh, Meredith took that to some <laughs> to some deep places. The fact that she might assume that they're going to take away her kid leads the question, what is she doing that they would take away her kid? It it has been hinted that she drinks more than she should, but yikes, it must be to the point where they're considering taking away her kid if that's what she's worried about. And we get an extended conference room scene Um Michael says, drugs are everywhere in our society. They are omniscient, which is the right idea. It's the wrong word. He's looking for omnipresent. (laughs) (laughs) Omniscient would be all-knowing. And I don't think drugs are all-knowing. I won't talk about all the stuff from the conference room, but there's one thing that particularly was like, wow. He says, there's no way of knowing who's a user, who's an abuser. Your gut instinct would be to think it was Stanley or Oscar. Your, your gut reaction would be to say that, but I don't. And Stanley just oh. looks up from his crossword puzzle. Like, what did you say? And Oscar just sort of shakes his head. And oh, it, it, it's like, holy crap, Michael, that you, you can't just say things like that. And even worse is the reveal that Jan was on speakerphone the entire time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and to, to sum it up, um, Michael has the handout at the end that says drugs let's not and say we did i don't think that's a good idea either (laughs) you don't want to say you did it if you didn't i I like the just say no i think that that's simple enough just say no (laughs) and pam of course jokes that michael may have been on drugs when he came up with that saying because it's it's not a great idea to say you did drugs I think maybe the last one I want to mention, there are a lot of good deleted scenes. So if you do have the chance, go watch them. But maybe the last one I want to mention made me laugh pretty hard was uh, a talking head with Angela. And Angela is talking about how against drugs she is. And she says, you know, I used to get a runner's high. That's why now I swim. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. she's, She's so against any kind of high, including a natural high from running, that she swims. (laughs) Yeah, that was a really good one. Then we get confirmation that Jim and Brenda have been dating in some capacity. Um, She calls the office while Jim is jinxed. And Pam says, oh, I'll just transfer you over to Jim. And he ignores the phone call. Or he doesn't ignore it. He just doesn't answer it because, one, he's jinxed. Pam's sitting right there. He doesn't want to break it. And so he writes to the camera in a talking head uh, that she'll, she'll call back. Don't worry. Uh, But yeah, we finally got that confirmation because we've been wondering that, whether that came to any sort of fruition or not. And I hadn't seen most of these deleted scenes before doing this podcast, so I'm getting some questions answered too. It's it's good. Lastly, for me, we got confirmation, pretty much confirmation, that the joint actually came from uh, workers at Vance Refrigeration. The very last deleted scene we get is these two guys walking towards the building and uh, they're talking about pizza or something like that. And they toss the joint to the side and the camera zooms in. There it is. We have the answer. It wasn't anybody in Dunder Mifflin after all. There it is. Well, I think that wraps up the official 13th episode of An American Workplace. 
You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com workplacepod or on Twitter at workplacepod. You can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And, you, and remember that you can email feedback or ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at Facebook at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A and facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And there's also my other podcast, Cinescope, which is a movie discussion podcast. And you can find that where podcasts can be found and at the website, thecinescopepodcast.com. And all the show notes and all of our contact information can be found at workplacepodcast.com. And that's all for this week. Thank you all for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 13 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 14 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season two, the final two episodes of season two, Conflict Resolution and Casino Night. Goodbye. But the big thing, it, hold on, my printer's doing weird things. That's <laughs> all good. I don't, I think my roommates are probably trying to print something, which is not a good time. <laughs> okay. This made a great um, end of episode blurb, by the way. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll keep that in. Uh, put it in the end. <laughs>